Hello and welcome to the Edgy Futurist podcast. Uh, it is episode 174. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we are recording. Uh, it's it's half seven at night. It's Thursday. Um, I'm at home. Ben's at home. Steve, you seem to be locked into some kind of weird uh, video. <laughs> I don't I mean, know what's the word. Are, are they in edge curtains in the background? <laughs> I think they're sideways. I think I've walked into uh, is it changing rooms? Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah, where yeah. Basically, yeah. everything used to be horrific color, and that every family would go and go, I love it. They never loved it. Not them colors. I feel like he's come and decorate this room. If you're listening, so I, I feel like I've got to say man. this a lot, but if you're listening, which most of our listeners are, you, you've got to go to YouTube because yeah. what we're looking at isn't pretty. <laughs> what, me? Or the, 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 the <laughs> No comment. That's no comment. Can you harsh. turn your Come camera on. off, Steve? Is that have you got that functionality? It's face for a podcast. Face for a podcast. Yeah. You t- and then you decided to go YouTube. So uh, I, I blame you, mate. To be fair, let, let's let's be honest. Um, because Steve's in a hotel room, he hasn't got three other screens to be reading other things from when he's supposed to be listening to a podcast anyway. So, uh, Jamie, did did your mate Jamie not say that you always look uninterested on a podcast, Steve? Was it was it Jamie? He said I don't care. He said I care less about this than I do my other work, which isn't good, is it, when, when, when he's the executive chairman and your CEO? So, uh, well, true story, I suppose. But, uh, I yeah, do but you've, care. Not got, you've, you've not got extra screens, have you? So, what are you going to do? What are you I gonna, never you have. Might... I just, it, I, it was just A4 bits of paper that I just write on. <laughs> um, we've had a few of them on the podcast as well, haven't we? Boom, boom. But, uh, yeah, yeah. Very, very good, very good. Yeah, so episode 174. Yeah, if yeah, yeah, if you're listening, write a review on your your podcast app or however it's done. If you if you're watching on YouTube, click subscribe at the bottom, and then you'll you'll get a notification whenever there's a new video out. Uh, check out edufuturist.com because there's a lot more than podcasts over there. In fact, podcasts of don't really feature all that much on the website, do they? It's more like the the events that we do, resources and things like that. Um, yeah, check it out if you if you like what we do here. You might like what we do elsewhere as well. Yeah, and it's it's, it's great as well. If you haven't already done so, uh, if you listen to the podcast or you subscribe to the YouTube channel, but you haven't or yet signed up for our newsletter, um, that's that's something that I've. I know that um, loads of people have been getting in touch with us saying that they've really enjoyed it. Um, and it, it's, a, it's a different medium for us. Uh, we used to do it years ago and then we started it back up and uh, subscribers are, are out there that are, are liking what we're writing. We're writing bits of stuff. We get a little blog and some threads and some ideas and linking out to some other stuff that we like. And it's and it's, it's gone down well. So if you want a dose of edgy future is love in your inbox on a saturday morning um do subscribe you can go over to the website right at the top of the website there is an opportunity for you to subscribe to our newsletter that comes out every week um and we've done it we've done it quite consistently for the last few weeks and it's not it's come out on a saturday morning so let's long may that last yeah, yeah. I've got better, better write my blog than Anna tonight i don't want to miss well it. Well, I didn't want to say it, Steve. That wasn't like a hint at all that to remind. Hint, like we don't want to let you down. <laughs> Nobody wants to let you down. Everybody wants to read it, Steve. Don't let us down. So, no, no, Steve. You released the one this last weekend, didn't you? You no, released it. Wasn't it, hour, it was it was technically an hour late. So did did well, well, did Steve release it? I, I think I he planned to did. release it. <laughs> it would have gone out Saturday morning at ten o'clock. It just didn't have GMT to write one on it, so it would have gone out. But somebody went and clicked it and pushed it an hour earlier. Just to make me feel even better about myself, like, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even work the clock and the calendar at the time, right? So uh, yeah, 
Uh, but he went out on Saturday morning, and uh, he did, did. yeah, let us know. We've 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 seen some great traction on different uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter. People saying how much they enjoy it. We've seen a lot of open rate and some real stuff. Some not real stuff. Some real positive stuff from people saying we love it coming in, and and actually some emails coming back to the Central Info at edgyfuturist dot com account to then just let us know if you've that's where it comes from. Let us know. Actually, if you're enjoying it, you can put it on social media. But actually, if you don't want others to see it and you might be in an organisation that is a little bit different to your view, that's fine too. Let us know that if you're listening and, and if it's uh, ringing true for you and you're liking it and you might be a lone voice in your organisation, that's fine too. We're here. Um, you don't have to be in an organisation that, that fully supports you, but we will. That's absolutely great. We're trying to create a community of yeah. like-minded people and, and crazies like ourselves. And uh, yeah, hopefully you uh, you want to be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's good. It's good to be able to be part of the community that's kind of sharing that. And we do we do appreciate that. We talked to uh, was it last week or a week before where we talked about bet um, and being at being at bet and having that level of community and meeting people and seeing people in real life. This is just another example of doing that. And uh, it's it's great to be able to connect with people and for it to resonate and it might not and not everything will resonate everything we write resonates but if some of it does then uh, we'd love to hear from you about that so yeah it's a uh, it's another another episode like i said one i think well dan said it 174 um of this of this version of the podcast we've got i don't know me, me and dan disagree but let's just say somewhere over 200 between 200 and 300 past episodes haven't we Dan? i don't see how this is a disagreement there's literally a number you can no, go in no there and, isn't and Dan, see Dan, Dan, there isn't and the reason why there isn't a number is because if we go onto the youtube like i don't know why no, no, i'm not live, talking about youtube i'm talking about the podcast go to the po- get your podcast out open. count count the episodes well to be fair <laughs> it's above 10 um so i think yeah. i'm struggling to be fair so uh um... so we, we we put quite we put quite a lot of videos out there as well so i would argue that We've 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 put more than we've got loads of stuff out there. Anyway, however many stuffs out there, there's loads. Whether it's two hundred, three hundred, six hundred, a million, there are loads of stuff out there that you can connect to. Dan's going to Dan's looking at him. He's looking at podcast app now to count how many there are. I, I was meaning I was meaning YouTube. Maybe I've just got it um, got crossways. And, uh, but... and to the other listeners, welcome to my world. This is Dan and Ben disagreeing, and me just <laughs> emails. Dan's so, uh... Dan hasn't disagreed. It's me. I argue with myself. I could argue with myself in my own sleep. It's nothing. It's no disagreement here. So, um, yeah. So we get. Should we, should we talk about some yeah. stuff? <laughs> How's everybody's week been? I, I'll kick off. I I'm over in in Wales, just uh, across the border, to see uh, a large uh, college and the, the executive team tomorrow. Um, I did my course, and I don't I don't know if I've talked about this actually. Um, so I've been doing a course uh, around business growth. Uh, I'm in a new role as a CEO. Uh, and 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 the, the, the and the company was like, yeah, we'll back you with with some learning. So it's it's a ninety percent is funded by the government. It's like a short MBA, but it's not an MBA. Really enjoying it. So today we've been looking at um, development, um, looking at different styles of leadership today, and talking about and and the best part of the course for me is when we have face to face meetings or online, and we can share and we can and we've got people that run pin and decorating companies. And you've got people that are running um, investment firms and then supporting as an exec, supporting 10 other firms that they've invested in and a real plethora of different people. And today was talking about the types of leadership um, and how it applies to the concept, uh, the context and, and our styles. And we talk about inspirational leaders and, and, and I must have shared it. Um, and I was sharing um, 
one of my most influential leaders because everybody was saying there was 20, 20 odd of us in the room today and, and the, the guy that was delivering it called Steve, um, who, was a, who was doing a, it's a great programme at Leeds University Business School and, and he talked about it and he said, put your hand up if you've, if you've witnessed or you've been influenced by an exceptional leader. I was the only person that put the hand up and said I've been influenced by an exceptional leader out of everybody from uh, wow. these executives and, and managing directors. And I shared a story, which I'll share around one of the most influential people on, I'd say my career, but probably my life, Jeannie Rogers. I don't think she listens, but I'm going to send it to her. She is one of the most influential influential leaders, nicest people, and probably one of the biggest influencers uh, on me and what I've potentially become. So it's her fault. You can blame her, technically. <laughs> but we talked about like characteristics and her leadership style and, and autonomy and accountability, but being clear and honest and um, and everything else that went with it. And 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 I reflected uh, in the little groups that we were in, the impact that's had on me, my style, everything I've done around leadership. I've learned from some terrible leaders. <laughs> but I think if I'm honest, some of my biggest learning has been since 2015, since I met Jeannie Rogers at Walsh Garnham. Honestly, she's so influential, and, and I don't think I've probably told her enough. Wonderful leader, and I've learned so much from her. So that's kind of the learning I've done and the thoughts I've done today. But if anybody's a business leader and he's, and he's thinking about a course for them, if you're an exec or an MD or anything else, go to, go and, and I can share it on social media. I'm really enjoying it. Really enjoying it. So just to come just to come back to that, Steve, and I know that we'll talk about our own weeks and stuff, and I think it's worth just digging at it now. Like <laughs> you said that Jeannie's been an influence on your life as, as a leader. What 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 do you think it is? What what is it that like about Jeannie that made her the kind of leader that you wanted to follow? Because that's ultimately what what's happened as well. And and you stuck around uh, through tough times and she was around, weren't she? So what what, what is it about Jeannie that kind of stuck out for you? Uh people's person. Um, she had she has this wonderful ability, and still does, to judge a room based on the people that she's speaking to, the people she's leading, but also a real smart human intelligence of the ability to also read the context of that person right then. So the stuff that's going on and understanding, giving a shit, and everything else that went with it, humble, uh, clear, like I said. I remember having some real tough conversations with Jeannie but she never shied away from it and she was always clear mm. and I learned and she supported me through some really tough times with changes to staff, uh, me learning in terms of my first real leadership role, um, restructures, transformation, everything. Um, and, and I remember, and I actually shared this with, with, with Jamie Smith, um, who was the executive chairman at, at Sea Learning. And I said, I think the best thing about Jeannie was her ability to see something in me. If I'm honest, I never saw it myself and probably mm. don't to this day and made it clear that the skills that she felt that she saw were going to be exceptional in leadership. And she allowed me to flourish in, in regards to not what she wanted to mold, but the leader that she thought I could be. And that sounds really cheesy and it sounds, but honestly, one of the nicest people ever and one of the best leaders. Yes, she wasn't perfect. Of course she wasn't. Nobody is but she was exceptional at emotional intelligence and smart. And um, and I think in education, that lacks. And I think we had Mark McCorn, didn't we? Um, um, 
don't know the episode number, talking about the real lack of leadership in education and actually managerial leadership that we have in education. Um, and, and if I'm honest, if we had more genies, we definitely would be in a better place. And maybe I'm biased, but I would honestly, that I can't really explain the impact that she had. And she took a chance on me when she didn't have to. When I was mm. a sports teacher and I was a leader, or I was a, a program manager in sport or a course leader in sport. And and yeah, so, and yeah, I don't think I'll ever forget think, it, if I'm honest. I think a lot of what I picked up from that was like qualities of, of being in the moment, really. Mm. I think like being able to, to be there, pre- to be present with the person who you're with. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's something I struggle with as 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 a leader in my role. I think especially when you when you you've got like an innovator type role, because you're almost you you're always being forced to look on the horizon, and 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 you're always especially for I know I'm, at the minute I'm trying to formulate strategy. I'm thinking next year. I'm thinking three years. I'm thinking five years, and. And I suppose there's always that kind of frustration of how things are t- compared to how you want them to be, mm. and and to within that still be in the moment with somebody and not be thinking where 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 do we need to be where 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 but actually be be where that person is right now is a is a re- it sounds simple but it's it's a very difficult thing to do. No, I, no, I, mate, I, I'm listening to you hear that and thinking to myself like how easy it is for us all to think about what could be and what should be or or what should have been so we're looking backwards as well rather than that 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 being present um and i know that we we talk about uh, brenny brown quite a lot on the podcast and her, all that conversation about she talks about vulnerability but she also talks about being being awareness and an awareness of, of of the present and i think that's really interesting that um you you say that that the word of the world of innovation and the world of innovators is a lonely place. Um, and I know that we've all felt that in, in our organizations, but also in, in outside of that organization, because we're thinking about things and we're talking about things and we're dreaming for things that are not everybody else is doing. Somebody said to me the other day, why do you think um, UK education takes so long to change or why, why it's still not still stuck in the Victorian stuff? I said because most people are quite comfortable, or it's been comfortable, hasn't it, for so long? And actually, what you're talking about there, Dan, is is it's that that contentment in the present and about being aware of the present, but while still dreaming of a possibility. What can and that's a tension, isn't it? It's a it's a tension and a balance to get right between forward thinking as well as present. Well, I think as well as that, there's that thing of the future isn't real. What's yeah, real is yeah, what's yeah. happening now, isn't it? Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. And and I suppose if you if your head's always in what's coming or what you want to come, then you're never going to be relevant because you're not taking into account what's actually what the real situation is. And I suppose when you then throw human beings into that mix and the real situation, and just coming back to what what you were saying, Steve, there um, about your example of of leadership and that if you're not with the human being in that that moment then how can you ever expect to to take somebody to where you to where you want to go um yeah 
and Ben, you've now got a, a member of staff doing mm. really, really well from what you're saying, and, and that's absolutely wonderful. Dan, I know that you are a, a leader, and, and I know you've been leading in different ways, but you've got now a big team. I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be working and, and, and leading uh, some teams, and it's a couple of things really. Like, the first thing is how often when you're trying to look forward or you're trying to create something, do people try and find examples of, can you give us an example? We want to be this kind of thing or we want to be like them or we want to take their path because look, they're successful. That's fine. But sometimes some of the best routes are what used to be a a piece of grass and becomes a muddied path through the trees that you don't always have to follow the path that everybody else has taken. So that's probably the first thing. But also... Leading the way I see it, and this is not for everybody because some people like to kind of tell and, and show, and that's fine in terms of like a spectrum if that works for you. I don't think there's a right or wrong, but this is my approach. Being involved and, in, and involving the team and coaching them through that takes so much more effort than telling somebody and instructing and being and managing them. Leading, yeah. I feel, is very, very different. And I think because everybody's so busy, and as you become successful potentially as a manager or a leader in, in education or beyond, you might take on more staff because you're doing it well, but then then that dilutes the ability to mentor, coach, and shape the people. The, I think the benefit of, and, the, and a good side of a good leader is actually creating leaders behind you and developing people. But that's really mm-hmm. difficult when you're setting KPIs and you're telling people targets and giving a appraisal cycle and everything else. Telling people what to do and management is, I feel, is simpler than coaching and leading. I think I think that's really interesting you say that as well because the whole that's that's the same in education. That's the same in teaching. So like it's easier to get through content. We talk about this all the time. It's easier to talk about. <clears throat> I've got these many lessons I need to get through. This much content I need to get through, and I'm going to t- talk at a child. So it's easy to teach, and it is to make sure that learning happens, isn't it? And I think the idea of uh, the the opposite in terms of like coaching that a good a good teacher is actually a good coach aren't they and what you're talking about there in terms of leadership we've i know we've 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 all or uh, certainly some of us have had the conversation about uh, bill campbell a trillion dollar coach who was really influential in silicon valley um for apple for google for um someone like Sheryl sandberg from facebook and loads and loads and loads of other companies and it was that idea of um, it's the stuff you've you've met, you've picked up out of what Steve was talking about, Dan. That relational, um, in the moment, um, not afraid to do what needs to be done. But it is it's about coaching, isn't it? It's about, and we're talking about. Are we saying? Are we are we then saying that the best leaders are, are coaches? I know it's not it's not it's not about a competition. But do you think leadership is about coaching? Is that what was? Is that what where we're, we're kind of coming to on this? I suppose it depends what industry. Uh, and I know an example that was given today was about um, military, but saying actually as you go up the level, um, strategy is important in the military. That it's not just dictatorship of you must do this. But I suppose it's about the context and, and the way that it was explained today was sometimes you will coach and you will guide a child to learn themselves and, 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 and make their own choices. But if they're in the middle of a road and a car is coming, you're not going to ask them what choice they want to make, you're going to tell them. So I think there are elements where you do do a bit of telling and it depends on the context of the situation and the person that you're working with. 
that whole thing of personalization to, to students and their journey, I think it's the same for staff. Mm. There has to be a coaching element. There has to be a development. There has to be talent identification and talent development in, in, I think, in leadership. I, and if there isn't, th- what are you doing it for? But I think that in terms of that, that example there about if a child's in the middle of the road, uh, you don't tell them to get out of the road. You drag them out of the road. You actually do things for them and with them and to them. And t- and like you said, like you'd shout or you do that con- that kind of thing to stop that happen. But in the grand scheme of things, like in most industries, there's very rarely that is the case. We're talking about the one the the one in million op- at times or a, a couple of hours here and there. Most of the time, we're talking about actually it's that whole idea about working with people and trying to get them to want to do it themselves. I'm like you mentioned, Ollie, who who's working with me and doing some of the work that I'm doing. And it's really interesting that I had loads of plans on where I thought Ollie was going to go and what he was going to go and do. I brought him on to look after some of my uh, business, social media stuff and and some of the elements around um, like videography and stuff. And actually found out that Ollie's really good at uh, writing, like writing copy, right? Really good at it. And I consider myself to be good at it, but he's, he's, he's really good. And so like, I need to, I need to find a way and what, what I'm trying to do is find a way to release him into that and allow that to generate income, not just for me, but for other clients that we work with. And he's so good at it that why would I try and coach him into doing something that I need him to do? And yes, every business, there's going to be stuff that needs doing that isn't the nice to what isn't always the nice stuff, the stuff that needs to just get done. But when you find when somebody finds a sweet spot, like you want you want to coach that into them, don't you? And through them. Yeah. I think there's that there's almost an overlap there of of being a mentor as well, isn't there? As well as a as well as a coach. Um I'm do I'm quite yeah, I'm quite lucky our organization has 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 paid for our leadership team to do some to do some um mentoring with with a guy called Nigel Carton Carlton who's uh who's 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 led and coached and mentored some top people in industry and uh and yeah just his distinct here's the way he kind of distinguishes between a mentor and coach and having to, and being able to fall back on what you need as well and just it, it what you were saying there Ben reminded me of of what he said and that his definite I think it was his definite well when we were talking the definition of a of a mentor come up of being someone who finds helps you find the hope inside of yourself um and I thought it was a really nice definition of of what a mentor does and I think maybe that is a, I mean there's 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 value in having a mentor who's outside of the system completely but I think a good leader will be a mentor as well will help you find like what why is it you you're doing what you're doing what is it that what is it that provides you the hope but then also steps in and and helps you f- discover the options of acting on that and 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 helps you in that direction as well so, so you, we talked about that Mike McCourt mentioned that there's um there's a challenge of leadership and that beyond management and because actually it's become it is bureaucratic and whether that is in the UK or around the world that's still the case like the <clears throat> leaders in schools have to be Manage, management primarily, don't they? 
do they have autonomy to lead? Do we have agency? Like the whole concept of like leadership in terms of its definition away from management is that management tends to be about processes and systems, whereas leadership is about generally about people. Um, that's that's a really broad conversation that obviously the Institute of Leadership and Management talk about the difference between them. But that whole idea of how we develop this into education and we develop leadership and educational leadership as opposed to just educational management is a, is a, is a massive challenge to us, isn't it? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a difficult one because when I, I, I said in a conversation with somebody the other day that changing education, whether that's UK or anywhere else and wherever you're listening, like you'll know that every, every single, every single educational establishment and every single teacher is trying to do, we, we just, it just needs to be different than the way it is, or we just need a little bit more autonomy. But the reality is we're dealing with children's lives and young people's lives. It shouldn't be easy to change it, should it? It shouldn't be like on a whim, like being able to change things that that really do affect people's lives. So so there is a there is a, a weight of it, but is is it an issue of autonomy and agency? Um for that that means that leadership doesn't it's not easy to be leaders. I don't know. I suppose where when you when you step into leadership in in a particular school, depending whether you're a large school or whether you're a part of a trust or whether you're an authority that has connections with other schools in a local area or college or whatever, what role model do you have to learn from? And this is what we goes back to today, what we we're discussing. How do you become a an exceptional leader? if you don't know what an exceptional leader actually is, what look they look like and what skills they have, how do you ever do that? And and, and somebody likened it to um, football and saying that a lot of talent, um, is it nature or is it, is it nurture? Is it born? Are people born to be leaders and exceptional leaders or actually is it nurtured through, through, um, through others in regards to pulling those talent out and developing those skills? And saying to a professional footballers and their children, they have so much opportunity to be around absolute high talent, so they see that. And when you, if you've ever been involved in a development squad at a young age for a football club or or any sport or anything like that, really, if you surround yourself with exceptional um, talent, then it raises your talent. Not to say mm. that you're going to be an exceptional, but I think there's a there's a there's a conversation around that. And and how do you learn it if you've never seen it or you're not around it? Well, I think I mean, it's, it's, there's an there's an exposure thing, isn't there? You're talking about exposure there as much as anything else, aren't you? That actually, like, uh, if you want to be a high performing leader, or uh, uh, you, you've got to you've got to you learn from high performing, it's the company you keep type stuff, like uh, what you listen to and the people you spend the time around. I, I heard somebody say that if you want to know where you, where you'll be in the next ten years, let me uh, let me see your phone contact list and let me see your bank account. Because actually, it'll tell you where you spend your money and who you spend your time with are the two biggest um, indicators of where your success will be in life. And I think where you're asking that question about exposure and you're saying about, like, maybe there isn't the opportunity. Actually, what we're finding is that people outside of traditional education are probably where education leaders are having to learn from, aren't they? They're having to pick up leaders from, from Simon Sinek's and you Matthew Saeeds and your, your your others, your Brenny Browns, <clears throat> and actually we're, we're learning from business as opposed to um, education, like 
leading the way. That's that's yeah. a challenge, isn't it? And and it was with um, Gavin Cooney last week talking about um, entrepreneurship, and sometimes those people have been in education but step outside of it to have a bigger microphone to then influence externally and influence positively, whether that's leadership, whether that's particular skills, whatever that be. Um, there is at times this. Um, rather wrongly, these, this belief that teachers can only learn from teachers and only should listen to teachers. But actually, if a teacher has never been a leader or never seen anything differently, then it has to come from an external source, something, whether that's a disruptive force from a different country, whether that's an influence from industry, whatever that be, if you've always done it a particular way, unless somebody shows you different, which if, you, if you're always in the same approach or the same school and it's got the same ethos, you wouldn't ever learn that. So how do you, you have to step out and you have to take external support and, and influence. Um, and, and I think there's a real body of influence in terms of the changes to education, um, learning, uh, online stuff. There is so many forces and disrupt, positive disruptors now. Um, so, yeah. And, and, and going on that, this, and going back to the coaching thread and the influence that has on people and mentoring, how many organisations actually look at mentoring of teachers to develop them rather than a, a staff development approach of actually just giving everybody the same thing, but coaching at all levels, whether that's teachers or whether that's people coaching and mentoring students, whether that's teachers, whether that's business, whether that's industry, why is it that our business has so many mentors and, and so many people that do get the guidance, but would it be frowned upon to have that as a teacher? It wouldn't be seen as a positive investment, would it? By many saying it's not what we need. They need support of how to do classroom behaviour and assessment and feedback. And it can be around that, but it doesn't have to be a particular thing, does it? It can be a coaching the human and the, the the holistic approach to it rather than one theme right then and right there. Yeah. I think there's there's a there's a bit of a growing trend and I think it comes from a certain certain part of the education system especially in the uk that almost prides itself on saying well you've got nothing valuable to say to teachers or to education unless you're a teacher yourself um and i and i've i've come across that a lot on social media where people who especially educational professionals who who work in universities get a lot of stick from from certain parts of of this sector um for for trying to train teachers and not being teachers them not being classroom teachers themselves and and so on and and it just it 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 baffles me really because then you are in that cycle aren't you you're in that cycle of well well we're just con continuing to do what we've always done but actually the biggest disruption to industries comes from when it, when industries learn from industries that aren't in the aren't doing yeah. what they're doing it's something yeah. completely different and and the innovators are the ones who make connections where people have pre previously failed to make connections. And that normally comes from an outside source. So, uh, and that's where we're seeing, I know you, you, you mentioned there's some positive disruptors and, and we've seen a lot of them and we've, we've had them on the podcast and, and they seem that they're doing a lot of good for, for students to do a lot of good for, for the world that they will go into. And it's, uh, yeah it's it's interesting because it's just there's not that it's it almost feels like especially i know we were i know a lot of our 
a lot of our audience, in fact, the majority of our audience are in America, um, closely followed by England, but we're speaking from an English context, I guess, and and there seems to be a lack of a lack of thirst for for serious change, for for transformational change, where and and I think it's probably encapsulated by that attitude of well, it's only a, the teacher in front of in the class who can offer advice, which baffles me. I think it's an interesting one that that idea that whether there's a whether there's a real appetite for change because maybe we just live in an, I just live in an echo chamber and actually when you listen to the people in our world um, there is a there is a thirst for change but we were talking about this from a I'm, I'm not going to get political I really I'm not going to get political that's Steve's job he usually gets political but like the whole like. What can we what can what can we do? And we were talking about often before we went on air, we were talking about the idea that we were really good at talking about um what the challenge is, what the issue is, but what does a genuine solution look like? Um is it is it is it a leadership con is it or is it more is it more than that? Is it what does it where do we go with that? Because it because it's it's a it's a massive challenge because you're saying that and I agree that most, um, a lot, not most people, a lot of people are saying we can only learn from teachers and actually th- there isn't, there isn't really an appetite for change. And it comes back to the stuff I was saying, I suppose, that, that level of complacency and, um, remember we talk about Danny Miller's formula for change all the time and that dissatisfaction with the status quo, which is, is there enough of a dissatisfaction with this? Is it the issue that there is a dis- there's not enough dissatisfaction, or is the issue that we don't have enough concrete steps, next steps? I think, I think, and it's probably it'll probably be good to make the distinction. I think there's an appetite for making things better, but I don't think I don't think there's a an overwhelming appetite for transformation. So, I mean, you just have to work in a school for a few weeks to realise everyone's always trying to make things better. I mean. Of course they are, and in, in, in nine times out of ten, that's because of the external pressures on them um, to try and make it better. But the, I think the true transformation thing is 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 the interesting one, and I think that's where where we place a lot of our focus uh, on this podcast. Um, and I and I wonder, I don't know if there's not. I mean, let's be honest, where we've got a niche audience, we're not. We're, a lot of our audience aren't traditional teachers. Um, and and I think the average classroom teacher does does want to make things better, does want to, but it's actually that whole thing of well, a true transformation. The the steps it has to come back to leadership, doesn't it? I mean, we could we could talk about there has to be cultural cultural change, grassroots movements, but at the end of the day, it's the leadership. It's the leadership who decide whether they take on a grass grassroots cause. It's the leadership who decide whether they want to influence the culture. Um. Yeah, and it. I think. I think ed, when we talk, when you talk about educational leadership, it's it's very much a caged leadership, and in, in that there's not much room to maneuver. There's a there's a lot of um, external forces that says it has to move in a specific direction, and I'm thinking think of things like Ofsted and all that that comes with that league tables, all those pressures. And there might be some breathing room. I know we've talked to, um, uh, oh man, his name just went out of my mind there. Uh, Andrew Hammond, 
And I remember talking to him about how, and he, he was like, actually, actually head teachers do have a lot of freedom and in like the, a lot of the wraparound cultural stuff and how they present things and what, what they do. And I, and they, and I think they do, and I think they do to a certain extent, but it's, it's, it's very difficult when it, especially when a school is, isn't outstanding, a school isn't kind of top of that leaderboard to do that because then their main focus has to be the, um, well, in, in, in the way our systems run, it has to be kind of the improvement on that level. Um, but then to even, but to bring in true transformation, and I guess that's where coming back to your point there, Ben, about, and I know we were, like you said, we were talking before about actually what solutions can we offer? Because we talk a lot about things that are, that are, that are the transformational stuff. It's the, it's the stuff that's down. It's the stuff that's five, 10 years away. It's the stuff that's other mindset type stuff. It's not the, well, go away and do this tomorrow and it'll make an improvement in your practice type stuff. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Cause if you, and we, and we know that there has to be transformation. We know that. It's the, it's the how, it's the, the how is always the most difficult part, isn't it? And yeah, and, and we've recently, we've, we've not deep dived into it massively and, and it's something that we keep saying we're going to, well, I keep saying I'm going to research it, the whole, you know, like micro-credentialing and, and, and the steps there and, and, and we, we spoke to um, some educators and some leaders in Australia and we had, um, some friends of, of David Price and some Howarth and, and people like that on talking about what's happening over there. There is some great practice in terms of um, qualification reform in, in Wales. There's some great initiatives in, in Scotland that are close to home. And yeah, they potentially are top, top down. But I think that there is a willingness, but is it the fact that there's a willingness because there's um, greater influence from, from higher up that, accepts that there could be changes and, and, and allows that freedom um so yeah like there, there is change what steps do we need to take well why are we focusing on the 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 core um subjects that we focus on by not just focusing on those and, and the development and the obsession with with a particular grade not saying exams or anything else but a particular grade or or the traction and the and the progress and the and the career path of education up to the age of 16 18 and then beyond there are so many steps that could influence that. And by not focusing on that end, end point potentially or the focus of, of particular things and think about personalised learning and online and, and all of those, there are steps. You just have to open yourself up to look for them. But the problem is if you're just focused on day-to-day, -day, which many are because you know what? People are overworked. But is that like they're overworked focusing on planning lessons and doing things in a particular way and demonstrating actually what not learning the admin side of education. We've become so obsessed by tracking an admin that actually we can't move beyond that in terms of the steps forward because we're so shackled by it. But, but then I suppose there's that whole, it comes back down to the stuff that we first started talking about tonight, which is about being present and about that idea of how can we see the wood for the trees and how do we see a future that could be different when you are so bogged down in the 
in the day to day. It's like um, I, I read a great book. Uh, it'll come back to me the name of it. But we talk about like getting bogged down in the whirlwind, and actually we need to consider and, and spend some time think. It's for the this four disciplines of execution is the book, um, and 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 by Chris McChesney, and he talked about this idea of like you've got to have wildly important goals, and for education, we're talking about wildly important goals, and we would suggest. Um, well, I would. I won't speak for you two, but I'm guessing we are on a similar similar trajectory on this. That the wildly important goal of education needs it needs to be personalised. Um, it needs to be micro credential that you mentioned there. This idea of that that learners can somehow get. It's not about one huge exam. It needs to be ongoing. And then we talk about this idea of decentralised. We talked about all of these things. So there is an idea of where it could be, but because we get so caught up in the whirlwind, the day to day meeting a, an Ofsted grade, making sure that we've got a certain uh, performance, making sure that we've got a certain number of grades of this. Like, it, it just, it would, do we get lost? Is it that we get lost in a whirlwind? And and perhaps, and perhaps we can't do enough 20% time. Maybe, 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 maybe the future is actually we could create a 20% time in education for teachers to think about things that are about working on education as opposed to work, just working in education. Yeah, it's just thought, isn't it? I suppose. No, no, I think, yeah. I don't know. It's probably one of our most favourite subjects in it, in terms of that endpoint conversation. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my my barber is also an entrepreneur. He owns bars, and he has a couple of barber shops, and he has a couple of bars. And we just talk about business and industry and everything else. And we talk about education, and the uh, he has the unfortunate thing of um, having to listen to me rant on for an hour. Um, as he cuts my hair, poor guy, uh, on a regular basis. But we it talk takes about an this. hour. Takes an hour. There's not that much there. Like mine doesn't take an hour. Well, Dan, Dan's Dan definitely doesn't take an hour. Tiny scissors now. Um, but Mark, to be fair, the majority of it is, is, is my beard. Um, <laughs> but um, so yeah, it takes an hour for my hair and beard um, before he say anything. But and, and 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 I think it was Mark McCourt again, and we've discussed it in different ways, but. Imagine at the age of 17, everybody in this country, as soon as you turn 17, you have three weeks and then everybody has to sit um, their driving test. Regardless of where you are and whether you're ready, you have to sit the driving test all at the same time. Okay? Or within a, uh, the, the age of like 17 or that age range from, from September. But not only that, so you do your driving test, but there isn't any criteria to then say if you drive well enough that you'll pass. That when you get to that end point, based on how everybody else has performed that day, they then say, you know what, you've done really, really well. But actually, because we've given so many people passes, you would have passed last year and you would have been driving now. But the boundaries changed. When you put it like that, it seems absolutely madness that that is what we do and what we put uh, young people through every year. And this whole yeah. algorithm thing and this you know, mutant algorithm. We have a system that is absolutely ridiculous. My opinion, whether it's right or wrong, but it's absolutely ridiculous. We would not do it. So why do we put our young people through it every single year in exactly but that way? 
Well, Tim Brighouse and Mick Waters talked about that. Did they talked about norm references versus criterion referencing, and how actually there's a there's a, there's a massive issue with that, um, and there's a huge issue actually with 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 a setup that is well and truly controlled by an endpoint assessment and from endpoint assessment companies, and um, and then ultimately the output, which tends to be. For most people, uh, the, the normal career path, which is to go through university, which which is increasingly proving that it's not necessarily the only way to succeed in life. And a lot of people are going different ways to, to be successful. So I think, yes, I think exams, I, I, I often think to myself, if, if people just heard a little snippet of what we talk about, we, we're exam bashes. And I don't think we are. And I think, I think it'd be interesting just to to hear what other people think on this, but I don't think we I don't think we say that exams are a bad thing. I don't think I don't think we're saying exams are a bad thing. What what we're saying is that a formal written exam should not be the only way, and should not be the final way and the kind of summative final um, decision making for students' measure of progress. Dan, I, I don't know that... if you're gonna whether you're gonna come in, but. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of our conversation behind the scenes away. This whole concept of what does the classroom of the future look like, um, and and that and exams in terms of the endpoint, yeah, but also what takes place on an hourly, half hourly, daily basis, and 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 it touched upon what you said, Ben, originally that is it easier to deliver content from the front to to 30 kids, maybe get them to put their hands up and answer a question, or actually is collaboration and doing things in a different way. It is harder. It's more challenging. It's more tiring. But is, is it any worse? I don't think so. I think that's the way forward that we have to focus on, not seeing kids as vessels that we fill up, and they then spill out at a certain point, whether that's in a test or anything else, that we see them as opportunities to to create and influence and support and then to kind of guide each other. And people say, oh, well, if you do teamwork and collaboration activities, there's always one that doesn't work harder. But then we expect it in industry. We expect teamwork. And how would we treat that? And how would we solve that as a leader or which a teacher is? Their class is just the group that they're leading. If we saw people not contributing enough and not sharing the load, what would we then do? And do we just need a shaping in terms of the skills and, and how we approach that? Is that the next step in terms of shaping and making sure that the influence from teacher development point of view, whether you see that as ITT or whatever, when we're developing the teachers of the future, should we be focused on a different way of delivering the skills that we actually support them with rather than just learn about behavior management and and some research and some theory and everything else. And do we need to change that side of it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, well, let's go to uh, a, a quick message from uh, Visor, who are sponsoring this episode. Are you struggling to manage your school's Chromebooks and looking for a solution? Check out the Vault episode with the team from Visor for features and why it can make a difference to managing your devices. Visor integrates with the Google Admin Console to keep track of your Chromebook inventory and repairs. For an exclusive Edge of Futurist offer for 20% off for your first year, go to visor.cloud slash edu. That's V-I-Z-O-R dot cloud slash 
edu. I think it's that. It's. I think it's what you said there, Steve, about filling, filling an empty vessel, and it totally, it overlooks the the fact that our learners, our students, our children, actually have got something to give now, and it's it's almost like, it's like it's they're not a proper person until they're eighteen years old, until they're twenty one years old, and then they can start giving to society, like. If you, if you've got to be in your early twenties before you can actually start start being creative and and doing things that's gonna that's gonna better the world, then you're you're hopefully you're a quarter of the way through your life, like and and you, and you, you, the 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 years where you you've got the most energy and 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 passion in some cases and and youthfulness on your side, and I think. There's some, re- I think, and, and and when we talk about the the positive disruptors, the that'd be a good name for a book, that Steve, but the positive dis- disruptors. Uh, we we never find time to write it. <laughs> <laughs> but well, they, <laughs> but they do that, don't they? When you look at it, look at like XP. You look at well, just look at XP and the the their actual their students are producing that producing things that are that are that they're, they're creating books that are sold on amazon they're they're contributing to, to to charities they're coming up with projects for charities they're they're actually doing things they're being they're being creative they they they've got an audience for what they do and i know we talk about having that authentic audience or genuine mm-hmm. audience and so that work doesn't students work matters and, and and what signal are we giving if if their work just goes into a book that then ends up on a shelf and is chucked in the bin at the end of every year, like does that say that their work matters? How how many how many kids like are oh not just kids we're talking about teenagers as well are um, at the top of their game when it comes to esports or YouTubing? Like let's let's look at some of the like Ryan's toy reviews. He's a kid. Yeah, he might have had his parents have done that. It's a kid that was that is one of the biggest YouTubers of all time. Uh, Mr. Beast, one of the highest earning, was in his. He's still in his twenties. Like these, we're not, we're not, we're not having to wait. And they started like when they're fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. They're starting even earlier than that. Some of these kids, and and, and you know what? I think you've hit on something there, Dan. And I think that's where um, it, it's kind of lit me up inside that that idea that we there's a philosopher that's idea that um, John Locke talked about. Um, whether people are tabula rasa, like blank slates that everything gets written on, or whether they come with a um, like a personality or whatever else. And that's a philosophical concept in terms of like soul and goodness and rightness and whatever else. But from an education perspective, I think to myself, like when somebody comes into your class, even if they're th- three years old in a nursery, they've already got life experience. They've already got... Um, a, a a family of origin they've already got cultural and contextual awareness they've already got passions and awareness and skills like i i, I look at my seven-year-old and my 11-year-old who are chalk and cheese like absolute chalk and cheese one's loud extrovert one's quiet introvert one's performer one wants to be behind the scenes one is super sporty one is all about performance, dance, dance, and and like if 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 my kid, my and do you know what happens? My kids go to the same school and will get the same freaking diet. 
they'll get the same diet. They get taught the same stuff and they get, they have to go through the same process. And that, that upsets me because I think to myself, students have got something to give. You talk about like young people have got something to give now. And I think we've maybe, maybe that the whole thing that we're resting this on is that we somehow we've got a, we've got something to give to these young people that they need, but actually they've got something to give um, that we need to kind of draw out of them. And maybe as teachers, we've got that responsibility and educational establishments to draw that out of them. And it's a mixture, isn't it? Cause it's not like we're not creating a, a dichotomy here of, of we don't, teachers don't have anything to give. Cause of course they do. Yeah. Like they're there, they're there to teach as well. The students need to know things uh, like that. It's part of it, but it's it's a mixture of students just just knowing information, but then also being creative with it. And if you if you talk to XP, which we have, they these have a certain amount of their um, their projects are are instructional. They have to have they have to have, have to teach in order to in order for students to create and it's like it's like us like if we as adults how what do you do if you want to create something which which we the three of us do quite often we 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 go read a book about it we watch a youtube video about it we 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 instruct ourselves first and then we mm. put it into practice but the reason I don't, I don't know about you but the thing that spurs me on is that i can put something into practice and and see it then create a life of its own and and get a reaction and other people see it and that's what gives me the motivation and i don't think it's any different for students neither um i think a, a genuine motivation comes from being able to create being able to apply do something that then has a life of its own it can become can can be a public thing can and you're not going to want everything public like the first time you, you do something you might want to pass a pass it by your coach or your mentor or whoever's you're with just to get some feedback but eventually and and actually it's something that uh nicholas cole who we, who we had on a, f a few weeks ago talks about if you want to be a good writer you don't write in private and try to get really good at it and then release a book you actually write you learn in public and that's why he's a big proponent of social social writing writing on social media um, because you're getting instant feedback you're getting constant feedback and a student in a class doing that fair enough they're getting feedback but they're getting feedback from one person from that teacher and that teacher isn't and again we talked about this on the nicholas cole episode that teacher isn't a, isn't a world expert isn't isn't the 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 fount of all knowledge in that certain subject or that or that certain um context so why not why don't why not give students a genuine audience from from day one or day two like why why not do that and, and and i think this this the places that you see that are doing that like the xbs are hitting on something or 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 changing things or are that transformational i guess and you know what i think we've probably just come full circle there in terms of what we're talking about in terms of next steps how do i how, like is it is it just that that teacher in that classroom saying you know what let's not put our work in that in the in that book today why don't why don't you get online and write a blog write a write create something that other people are going to see that other people are going to be able to give you feedback on i know it's an extreme version of it but greta she's all coming up to um 
to Earth Day, I think it's, is it middle of April? Like, how old is she? Are we saying that because of her age that her voice should not be heard? It, it wouldn't happen now, would it? Imagine saying, because of your age, actually, we're not going to listen to you. So why, why, why does that make any difference? There's people that have sailed around the world and, and across the Atlantic at, at, at very young age, mm. and there's people that do outstanding, amazing stuff for charities, and I've seen some great stuff, and, and I know David Price would probably mention him every... He talks about Avi Shipman, done he? Who's on Avi next Shipman. week, by the way. He's on next week's episode. So Next week, week after, you know, a couple of weeks' time. That... And, and age is only an identifier of how many years you've you've been on the planet. Not actually your experience, not based on anything. It's just a, a, a line of how long you've been around. That there are many young people that are exceptional, but in education, often uh, in the UK and, and and around the world, we see them as underdeveloped adults until the age of eighteen, and they should listen to and, and they need to be told. And, and not developed, but they need to, they just shouldn't have a voice. What a shame. Yeah. And do you know I what? If you, asked, if you asked educators that, I think they would say, oh, no, no. The best teachers are those people who, who support, who understand um, and care, regardless of the kid's age. Best yeah. And, and actually, the other thing is as well is that sometimes the best teachers in a classroom isn't the adult at the front, is it? It's it's the it's the learners around them. Uh, it's learning from each other. It's that collaboration stuff. It's the learning outside of the classroom. And you know what? Mate? I'm not a teacher basher here. Like I, I I don't want. I would hate anybody to come away from this episode and think we're suggesting that teachers don't need to teach and that there's no need for for instruction and that we're, we're saying it's either or. And it, it's, it's and I think you've mentioned that as well about that dichotomy, Dan. Like it always for me, it's always going to take a teacher. A YouTube video is not going to replace a teacher what we've also got to accept is that like in a, in a, in a world that, that there's more of an equity and a, de- a democratization of, of uh, a voice because of social media, because of the internet, because of other things like that. Learn learners, young people can be, um, and they probably always have been throughout history, but maybe less, maybe less public and less, uh, less vocal about it. And for me, We've got to we've got to champion that and um, and and let our young people be uh, be I don't know agents of their own autonomous or it, it comes back to the leadership thing about teachers as well and educational leaders like we're saying it for te- for students as well aren't we Yeah, and I, and I know I, I've mentioned it a few times I think recently on the podcast as well but and to be honest I think about it quite often uh, and I did a in my old job, I did a short series where I interviewed some some highly successful people in their fields, um, uh, a, a top television editor, a, uh, some top sports people, and the one thing that 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 struck me is is that they would they were doing that from a from an early age, and they weren't doing it in a school context, and it just made me think when you were talking there, Ben, about why is it that some students love sports so much, you know, like. In a, in a lesson their heads on the table they're not they're not there but as soon as PE comes around or the the Saturday football club or their their gymnastics or and I know your daughter's one of your daughters does a lot of swimming Ben why is it why is it that 
filling them with passion and, and is it because that's when they they get to see immediate results and they get to they get to have a, an audience they get to they get to rec- they get to receive that um that affirmation for doing something that actually isn't just isn't isn't just behind doors it's actually out there and it's it's providing a it's provide it it's adding to to their context to their environment and they they're, they're able to say that it's actually meaningful because it's it's in a real world context if that makes sense and also there's the element of choice there as well isn't there like i, I think i think there's some of that element that sits in that that we prescribe what we think is important to learners like steve touched on the core subjects and this and that and the other else and 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 absolutely i'm not i'm not in any way shape or form suggesting that we don't need students to be able to read write and count um but we spend an awful lot of time making sure that those things are 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 centralized when we've got yeah where are we going to find the next um the next actors and the next sports stars and the next creative geniuses and all that kind of stuff because we are we are squeezing the arts and we squeeze sport out. like I, i'm chair of governors at a primary school and we're doing all this catch-up tutoring because obviously children didn't learn anything for two years which which is just a joke in it in and of itself but we're doing all this catch-up tutoring and the government's throwing loads of money in the uk at the national tutoring program and what we're doing we're doing numeracy and literacy primarily and what are they taking them out of? They're taking them out of non-core subjects. They're taking them out of PE, taking them out of RE. They're taking them out of history. They're taking them out of the things that they don't think. And that, that's not that. I don't. To be honest, I'm not. I'm not giving a solution here. So maybe I'm just an idiot and should shut up. But ultimately, like we've got this obsession with these core standards, and that every child must meet this minimum threshold. Well, is the minimum threshold are, are, are we suggesting that a student being able to do X, Y, and Z need, is, is necessary? And, and maybe we've got the thresholds wrong. I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm just ranting. But my my girls, like my 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 seven year old, knows how to read, knows how to spell, knows how to formulate sentences, knows how to re- relate to other people, has got a passion and a curiosity uh, for learning and for being better at what she does. Like I think maybe let's just. Maybe I just need to take her out of mainstream education and 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 send her to Kidato or synthesis or something and get them to do something like out there crazy because I, I, I'm worried that we we are going to we are going to educate the curiosity out of her. That's my yeah. worry. And I, you know, I remember I think I was 18 year old and I first and I I did a gap year and I was doing youth work and I remember kind of the motto that. We, we used to go, I was a part of a team, we'd go into schools and work with young people and, and kind of our motto was no, six, well, two weeks from now, nobody's going to remember what you said, they're going to remember how you made them feel. And I think that's so true. And I think when I think back to, to my schooling, like what, six years at secondary school, I, I probably remember less than 1%. Probably less than no point, not one percent of what I what about what. Like I, you just, it's impossible. But I'll, I remember how I felt. I remember the 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 how I was, and I remember the type of person I was in year seven versus the type of person I was in year eleven. I remember, I remember the 
the formation side of things and is that where we is that where we're we're falling down because I, I honestly think i think it's probably a different thing for primary school because you, there's a lot of fundamentals being being um learned there but in that in that that those teenage years like who and I know it's almost a cliche to say it now, but a lot of a lot of the stuff you you learn doesn't isn't getting used again. It it isn't. It just it it honestly isn't. And 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 it is a cliche to say that. And oh, who's who's using Pythagoras theorem now? But who is? I, I've I've never used it. I've never ever used it. So why was why was I? And fair enough, if you're in a job that's using that's using it, amazing. But why did I have to sit through that as well? <laughs> it, it it goes to the wide on it, and I don't know whether we 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 pick themes because there's and there's there's threads that go without it because it all interlinks in terms of what we feel and and, and the way forward and the steps to to take it. But why do we? Who who made that decision? Why do we teach that? Why do we? Why do we make a decision that that is what they need to know? If You've just said, well, I remember nothing. I remember one sentence from German, and I, I did it for years. And it literally is relevant. It's about my teddy bear sits on my bed. It's the most embarrassing sentence ever. I, I know some 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 numbers. Honestly, that still is literally Still sits there, it. doesn't it, Steve? Still sits it there. still does. It's, I brought him with me, to be fair. But <laughs> like, that is the mayhem. But I remember the days, the trips, my friends, yep. um, who, I, who I developed to be, if I'm honest my learning really up to a certain point was i feel was completely irrelevant i was probably one of those kids that was seen as a failure at school well this is the thing like well on paper i don't i don't read as a failure i I genuinely like good grades good gcc's decent enough a levels like did well but like I say I've said this multiple times. Latin classics and history A levels don't use any of it now, uh, even A levels, and they were things I chose to do. And 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 maybe there's there's something in that as well about helping people choose. I picked those subjects, no doubt about it. I didn't pick those subjects because I thought they would help me. I didn't pick them because I was going to. And yes, I did consider doing classics at university and whatever else. But I I the teachers, I enjoyed the teachers. Um, I felt like the subject matter was 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 something that I could get my teeth into. I was interested in stories and and all the things that go with that. And I think, but I, I come back to Martha, my seven year old, like who I think has got enough functional understanding. And maybe I'm maybe I'm naive. Maybe I, maybe I'm naive. I remember having a massive argument with the um, <laughs> with a with a subject teacher who the who school. Uh, uh, a, a, a class teacher who then referred me onto a deputy in the head. And bear in mind, I'm the chair of governors of that primary school. Like, I remember saying to her, like, she understands how to do that. Why is she doing more of it? Because we need to make sure that she's consolidated it. She needs, no, no, no. Why can't she not do some stuff from you? She's completed every book that you have in that, you have read every single book and completed every single grade that you are saying in that um, library. So, w- w- what's next? And they're like, well, she can't go to the to the year three library or the year four library because um uh, because what will she read in year four? Shut up. Like a lot I, I did lose my shit on that because I actually think to myself, this is just ridiculous. Like these these are 
I say it again, like my kid is, I think she, well, everybody says about their own kids, so I'm, I'm biased. But Martha is super curious. She wants to know stuff. She asks why all the time. She wants, she, how long is that going to last? Gen, and, and I worry that it's not going to last. So let's, okay, so we're obsessed at GCSE, or we're obsessed with GCSEs um, in this country, okay? So Dan, you currently work in favour education, Ben, you have, I have, and then I was for many years, same as you, Ben, okay? When we ran vocational qualifications, or even A-levels, okay, we had a prerequisite that you had, had to have a certain number of GCSEs to get on. Did it make a difference what GCSEs they were if you had seven, and I know that a lot of numbers and everything else now, if you had seven grades to get onto that, would it make a difference generally or would you get in? I would say, does it make a difference whether you've got maths, English or history or whether you've got sport, RE and IT or if you've got something, something, something? I don't think it makes any difference. The mix, as long as, but we're telling them that they have to be, achieving the best but then saying well actually as long as you get five you go on to the next step it's it's a gateway to the next step that's it, it and, and but we're focused on maths and english i just don't get it because I spent if, you, many if, years you, of, if you got if you got those grades you read to make a difference what else happened about you tend there's nothing else you've got can five, you let you what, what you go into a brick lane course can you lay brick is the question the question isn't isn't can you do you know the uh uh, periodic table and can you can you recite which ones are the noble gases and which ones aren't like I'm not I'm not going at science teachers I'm not going at maths and English teachers that kid who lays brick needs to learn how to needs to know how to lay brick if they've got if they want to be a gamer and they want to be a huge but if the difficulties is when people don't know what they want to do but like we, we we've got to coach that into young people we've got to give them opportunity for for agency autonomy and like that comes back to that stuff we were talking about before about leadership like the best leaders, and, and where Steve was talking about Genie, the best leaders saw something in him that he didn't see in himself. Genie Jeannie saw stuff in Steve that he didn't see in himself. We've got to do that for the young people, haven't we? We've got to see things in them and help them discover things about themselves that they don't really realise is is there. Mar Martha's, Martha's great at, at, at writing stuff. She writes stories all the time. Like, she loves writing. Like, well, I need to give her an audience. Like, let's give her an audience. But she's good at something else. Let's give her an audience. Let's try and do that. So, yeah. I think, and to be honest, if you ask somebody, name a teacher who who inspired you, that's probably what they'll say they did. So why, and we know that because we hear that. Celebrities are on TV all the time talking about the teacher they loved and and, and that's kind of what they did. They saw something in them and they, they, they helped them foster it or they the first time they'd ever give them affirmation because of it but we know that but we still go right well yeah that's nice but it's just uh if you know what do you 99 of your job do your teaching and and then do a bit of that as well if you can actually why doesn't why isn't that the main part of the job if that's what transforms lives and then we've got a lot of probably anecdotal evidence to support that why why isn't that the main part if it's not about what what somebody said, but about how you made how they made you feel, then why isn't that the focus? And we could probably talk about this all night. <laughs> all right. Yeah. 
<laughs> you looked up at Steve then, didn't you? I think I think yeah. I it's like, it's say, somebody else Ben's gonna say I'm gonna use Steve's <laughs> statement or somebody else. But, uh, it's 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 a service will be knocking on the door soon, won't it? I'm starving, by the way. I've paid my bill and I've paid for uh upfront cost of food. It is half past eight and I feel I've literally I'm eating picking away a slightly browning apple here. Um, <laughs> just to get me through, but uh yeah, I'm starving. But uh is, is this been our longest one that we've done of just us three? Yeah, yeah, it is, and we haven't even mentioned Web three. <laughs> yeah. This this is the first time in ages that we've had a conversation and we've not mentioned metaverses and crypto. So um, yeah, I feel like that's an achievement in and of itself. It feels like we've come back to the things that we've we've always been mass- massively passionate about, but we don't always talk about enough. So it's been a it's been a good it's been a good episode, and obviously. Um, watch this space next week there'll be some next week and the week after there'll be some announcements about our uh, edgy futurist awards because when we're talking about this these it ties to what i am going to make a link here we're done saying about teachers who made you feel um it's not about what what you tell them it's about how you make them feel we want to celebrate some of them teachers and some of them schools that are doing innovative things things that are going to making memories for young people and doing things out of the box out there so Watch this space for Edge of Futurist Awards. Um, the nomination forms are going to be coming out soon, as well as um, the opportunity for you to sign up and register for that on the 30th of June, 2022. It's not that far away. So, yeah, Edge of Futurist Awards. Yeah, uh, head to edgyfuturist.com. At the top there, there'll be a link. Subscribe to the newsletter, and every Saturday morning, uh, you will get our musings for that week, uh, which which people have like apparently, so maybe you <laughs> will too. Yes. Love it. Yeah, like, subscribe, do what you do what you need to do. And let's let we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from the audience. So thank you again for listening. Episode 174 done. Uh lads, have a good week. Steve, enjoy your room service. Um, hope you can sleep in that psychedelic room. And uh we'll we'll do this again shortly. <laughs> <laughs>